Hello and welcome to edition number 1943 of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording at the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 5th of January 2023. As it's the first edition of the year, we would like to wish you all a Happy New Year. I'm Jean and I edited this edition. Beside me at the recording controls we have Eric Imson. As usual, we have items from the Whitney Gazette. Our four readers are Barbara Barringer, Jenny Wiley, Stefan Gabshevich and Henry Spielberg. So let's have our first story, which is about recycling Christmas trees and will be read by Barbara. Yes, hello everyone. This one is Old Tree, New Chips. The Blenheim Estate is running a green tree cycling scheme and inviting people to drop off their used Christmas trees after Twelfth Night. The estate will be operating the recycling scheme from Saturday until January the 15th with drop-off points at the estate office. Anyone can recycle their tree. It does not have to be one bought from the estate. Head of estates, Rachel Furness-Smith, said the scheme was a low-carbon and environmentally friendly way to dispose of the Christmas centrepieces. We'll be taking these old Christmas trees and turning them into chipping, which will be used in projects across the estate, she said. From tree planting to mulch for projects within the formal gardens, it's a useful biomass and a resource that we'd happily keep in the local vicinity to improve our own biodiversity. The way conifer trees decompose when turned into mulch means they're a great layer to help plants in beds and newly planted trees withstand the cold temperatures in January and February. Blenheim grows Christmas trees and new saplings are planted each year and there's a very nice picture of a pickup truck taking a whole load of Christmas trees through the Woodstock Gate at Blenheim. Secondly, Stefan will be reading about a different way of disposing of your Christmas tree. Yes, thank you very much. Um, this is an article titled Curbside Pickups for Homes Used by Christmas, Used Christmas Trees. Householders are being urged to have a green start for 2023 in West Oxfordshire by recycling their Christmas trees. Real Christmas trees left out on Garden Waste Collection Day will be picked up by the D- District Council um, from next Monday, January the 9th. The service is available to all, including those without a current Garden Waste licence, as long as all the lights and decorations have been removed and the tree is presented by 6am Collection Day. Trees must be cut down to approximately three, one metre lengths and left at the curbside for disposal or put inside the garden waste bin. Collection is available until the 20th of January. Lydia Archewska, Cabinet Member for Environment, said, We know res- residents really value this service, as Christmas trees can be bulky and awkward to dispose of. She said trees with, with root balls can be repotted, while cut trees can be successfully home composted with a little bit of effort. As Ms. Anchevskas also urged householders to recycle as much as possible and reduce waste where they could over the festive season. People can check the days of their garden waste collections at westoxen.gov.uk slash bin day or call customer services on 01993 
861000 during normal office hours. Now for a shocking article read by Jenny. Police stop counting after 3,200 abuse images. Police specialists stop categorising the 82,000 images found on Marion Berland's computer and hard drives after they hit more than 3,000 child sex abuse images and videos. The 59-year-old paedophile had amassed the collection of 3,000 221 categorised files between late 2020, when he was first arrested by the police, and his second arrest in February 2022. Oxford Crown Court heard that although Berlin did not share his vile collection with other sex offenders, he had saved files to internet-based cloud storage for safekeeping. Christopher Pembridge, prosecuting, said police went to Berlin's bedsit on February the 23rd this year. He was not in, having been admitted to hospital the previous month following a heart attack. But detectives were let in by the man's landlords, who lived next door. They seized a number of digital devices from the flat, seven of which were found to contain indecent images and films of children. In total, he was found to have 1,236 images and videos in the worst category, including... Depictions of child rape. There were further, excuse me, there were a further 1,982 in categories B and C. However, Mr. Pembridge said there were more than 82,000 images uncovered by the police that were uncategorised, 30,000 more than were found when his computers were seized in 2020. The categorisers stopped and there is no way of saying whether or not these images were indecent or not, but that is contextual information, Mr Pembridge said this week. The children in the categorised images were as young as one, although most of the youngsters were estimated to be aged between six and eight. Software had also been installed on Berlin's computer designed to mask his internet use and delete files. Berlin, previously of Main Road, Longhambra, but now of HMP Bullingdon, plead guilty at the Magistrates' Court earlier this month of possession of indecent images of children and extreme pornographic images showing bestiality. Mitigating, Angela Porter said her client had admitted to the police that he had continued looking at child sex abuse material after his 2020 arrest. However, he was given a 16-month suspended prison sentence in June of this year. It was only for indecent images found following that arrest two years earlier. It was suggested that, had the judge known about the additional images in June, Berlin's sentence would not have been significantly longer. Berlin is currently in custody, having admitted breaching a sexual harm prevention order in August by having a mobile phone he had not registered with the police. Jailing him for two years, Judge Maria Lamb said, there are aggravating features here. These were very young children moving as well as still images and there were items on your computer to conceal the material that you had downloaded. Henry will now read about Aldi and the Chipping Norton Theatre. Yes, thank you. And the item is headlined, Aldi donates meals to children in need over Christmas time. 
Almost 1,300 meals were donated to children in Chipping Norton over the festive period. Aldi's store in the town provided the meals to the Chipping Norton Theatre to be distributed to children in the area who would be eligible for free school meals during term time. The theatre had reported a heightened demand on its services and hoped to be able to feed at least 160 children. John Richardson, regional managing director at Aldi, said. Chipping Norton Theatre is an excellent example of one of the many community groups we are incredibly proud to support. We know a lot of families will be struggling this winter, and that is why we are making this additional donation to help the local community in Chipping Norton this December. Claire O'Hara, head of outreach at Chipping Norton Theatre, said, We are very grateful for Aldi's support during this busy period. Due to the high demand this year, it is becoming increasingly difficult for charities like ours to help those in need, but donations like this help to make all the difference. Tonight, we are fortunate to have a reflection from the Reverend Charles Harris. Thank you, Charles. It's good to be able to come and talk to you again. It's New Year. Where did 2022 go? I don't really know, but we're now suddenly finding ourselves in 2023. I suppose traditionally at this time of the year, people would make New Year's resolutions. I resolved some years ago never to make New Year's resolutions again because I found I was constantly forgetting to do anything about them. They were broken promises, which seemed rather pointless. But there is one thing I do try to do each year, and that is have a recap on my life a little. And see if there are things in my life that I can change. I listen to Radio 4 quite a lot. I'm very sorry to those who think that's a dreadful thing to do, but I often listen to Radio 4 when I'm in the car. And I listened to some things during the course of last year which stuck quite deeply into me. It was a sentence, it was somebody who was discussing listening and listening skills. And they said this listening is to stop waiting to speak. So say that again, it takes a bit of thinking about. Listening is to stop waiting to speak. And I thought, yes, so often we wait to jump into a conversation with our contribution. And so I suppose, in a sense, my resolution, if it could be called that, is to listen more. Some years ago, I met a lady called Susan, an elderly woman.、Uh, she wasn't able to do very much, she was very frail. I was visiting a place called Fellowship House, which is a Christian conference centre in Essex. I went there with a group of people from the church that at the time I was part of for a weekend. There was this lady, Susan, who used to go in there regularly to help. And what she did, she sat in the entrance hall. And on the one side of her, as she sat, was a whole great big bag, a big sack of potatoes. On the other side of her, Was a very large bowl containing water. And in front of her was a box, just a big cardboard box. And she had in her hands a potato peeler. And although she couldn't see terribly well, she fumbled, managed to grab a potato out of the sack, peeled the potato, the peelings falling into the box, and when she was satisfied that enough peelings had been taken off, she would lean over and put it in the bowl of water, waiting for someone else to come and retrieve it. She was an amazing lady. She made a big impact on me. But the other thing about her, not only was she humble and prepared to do just ordinary things like that, but she also listened. 
As she sat there in the entrance hall, she had another job. She just sat and listened. People would go up to her and they would have conversations. They would tell her how they were feeling, what was happening. She would discuss Christian things with them sometimes, and on other occasions she would just listen to whatever was going on in their lives. She was absolutely amazing. She was humble and gracious, and she really listened. She made an impact on me, the fact that I can still remember her all these years later. So perhaps all of us can resolve to listen a bit more, perhaps speak a bit less, and perhaps in the midst of it all we might also resolve to seek to listen to God and to see if we can see what he's doing around us and about us. Sometimes we live in a troubled world and it's hard to see love and goodness, but there is love and goodness if we only somehow listen. I hope you find this year a very good year for listening and that you might hear some wonderful things, perhaps some unexpected things. Thank you, Charles, for coming to give your thoughtful reflection. I hope we will all try and listen more. That was very interesting. Uh, and now we have our next story that's going to be read by Barbara. Can we... My headline is Muddy Moments with Runners on Riverbanks. Scores of hardy runners worked off their Christmas turkey with a tough fun run across muddy fields and through a cold, wet brook. Runners, some in fancy dress, splashed through chilly water for the Great Brook Run in Chudlington, near Chipping Norton, on Tuesday. A bugle call summoned, summoned runners to the start line for the briefing, which included advice to take care in the first 50 metres to avoid any fallers and a warning to sport trainers or walking boots, but not Wellington boots, because wellies fill up with water. After the briefing, a starting pistol signalled the start of the run and they were off, wading through icy streams, ducking through dark tunnels on their hands and knees and scrambling up riverbanks. Runners started at the tight inn in the village, half of which sees competitors thrashing through Cold Run Brook. The race ends with runners worming their way through a tunnel immersed in icy water. Former organiser Rachel Godfrey said, at the halfway point, you jump into the brook and run all the way back in the water, which was uneven and stony underfoot, and probably a couple of feet deep in places. At the end, you enter the tunnel under the road, which gets narrower till you have to go on your hands and knees which isn't for the faint-hearted. Once through, you climb up the river bank, up a steep ladder, followed by a short, sharp hill to the finish. So it's quite a tough course. But we always have children who complete it successfully. There were medals for all at the end of it, and beer for some. The Great Brook Run has been taking place since 2006, this year's slogan was, It's great, it's in a brook, it's a run. The run made the national news when Prime Minister and Whitney MP David Cameron took part, finishing 25th out of 105 competitors in just under 15 minutes, on one occasion and in 19 minutes on another. All proceeds from the event go towards local good causes which this year, with Sobel House Hospice, 
Diabetes UK and the Chadlington Village Hall. I have another water story, a little bit different from the one you've just heard. This is titled, Thames Sewage Spillages Scupper Traditional Swim. Thames Water has apologised for recurring releases of raw sewage into the Thames and its tributaries, which forced the cancellations of Oxford's traditional festive swim. Alerts of five discharges into the Rindrush from Whitney Sewage Treatment Works and three-hour storm overflow from Church Hambra were issued between December the 21st and December the 28th. The releases, blamed from flood alerts, were described as regrettable. Pop star turned environment campaigner Fogel Sharkey, who lives in the county, condemned the releases highlighting their effect on the designated bathing areas in Oxford's Port Meadow. He said, There are only two small stretches of river in England officially designated as bathing water. This is one. Castle Mill Stream, in a backwater of the Thames near Wolvercote, was granted bathing water status by DEFRA in April after the long campaign by wild swimmers and local people to impress the water quality and improve it and stop sewage release by Thames water. But by November, the county's only official swimming spot had failed bacteria safety tests. For the second year running, outdoor swimmers were forced to cancel their Boxing Day river dip at Port Meadow. Last year, Thames Water also announced a sewage dump from Whitney on Christmas Day. Oxford City Councillor for Wolvercote, Joe Sandelson, a member of our outdoor swimming group, Brr, said, Many of my friends, like myself, decided not to risk their health this Christmas. We're holding out for New Year's Day, though, as Thames Water says it can make four days for untreated water, untreated sewage to clear. We are relying on them not dumping from new, new until then. Our group and others don't want to get swimming, to get ill swimming in this pollution. Before, importantly, it is killing the fish and the river. Thames said it was increasing sewage treatment capacity across the Thames Valley, including Whitney and Fairford, which is expected in 2025. A spokesperson for the for said, regrettably, there has been a recent sewage release at Whitney Sewage Works. We're also aware that there has been flood alerts in re- places for several days for the River Thames and River Chermel in the Oxford area. Putting untreated sewage into rivers is unacceptable to us, but after heavy rains and sometimes necessary to be permitted. This prevents flooding homes, gardens, streets and open spaces. With the help of the government, Ofwat and the Environment Agency, we're working hard to make these releases unnecessary. Our shareholders have recently approved a business plan to see us spending an additional £2 billion beyond what our customers are funding so we can improve outcomes for this outcomes for customers, leakage and river health, and we've also committed to a 50% reduction in the total annual duration of spills across London and the Thames Valley by 2030. And within that, an 80% reduction in sensitive catchments. Ash Smith, chair of Windrush Against Sewage Pollution, brackets WASP, said, Many sewage works in Oxfordshire are failing from the lack of capacity and have been allowed to get 
that way because the regulation of Ofwat and the Environment Agency has been pathetically weak. And the water companies are very clever at making money with no re regard to the consequences. Some works are frequently operating f illegally and still new housing is being planned and even accept accepted to add to the, local lo to the load of the rate of about 30 tonnes of sewage wastewater per day from every 100 houses. WASP is now offering evidence on planning applications. Nurses recognise for their work in charity healthcare. A modest but inspirational nurse who provides free end-of-life care to people in their own homes has been given an MBE in the New Year's Honours. Jenny Nolan was founder and manager of Lawrence Home Nursing Team, which gives care and support to terminally ill patients in the community. Of her challenging work during the pandemic, her team said, this remarkable, inspiring and self-effacing woman led the team in providing high-quality nursing care for more than a 1,000 patients who wanted to die at home in the north and west of Oxfordshire. Mrs Nolan said she was very humbled when she received an email in November informing her of the award. She said, to be nominated by those I have worked alongside for so many years and that nomination to have been accepted feels slightly unreal and a huge honour. I have been supported by so many people over the years and I'm so grateful to have worked within such a fantastic community. After 23 years of leading the team, Mrs Nolan retired as the registered nurse manager in September 2022 and in October had a retirement party at Chipping Norton Town Hall. Richard Greaves, chair of the Lawrence Home Nursing Team, said this is a richly deserved award, a national recognition of a local hero, someone who has given years of dedicated service to our local community and an enormous amount of care and support to local patients and their families. The Lawrence Home Nursing Team was set up in May 1999 by district nurse Jane Phillips, Jenny's friend, who died in 2011. Dr Martin Lawrence, who was terminally ill himself, and Jenny. Another West Oxfordshire nurse recognised for her services to the profession was Carol Kefford of Whitney, former clinical director and chief nurse at Nuffield Health, the UK's largest health care charity. She was awarded an OBE. During the pandemic, she led the clinical response to the charity's network of hospitals across the UK, which treated over 500,000 NHS patients and provided staff, facilities and equipment to NHS trusts. Ms Kefford believed her military experience came to the fore as she currently serves as Colonel Commandant of Queen Alexandra's Royal Army Nursing Corps representing around 4,000 serving and veteran army nurses, an honorary appointment. She said, I am truly humbled to be awarded an OBE. I have loved being a nurse and nursing leader in the military, NHS and across the independent hospital sector. It's been a particularly pleasure to work so closely with our NHS colleagues throughout the pandemic. I'm lucky to have worked with so many talented nurses, clinicians and healthcare leaders who have guided, mentored and supported me so that I could give my best to our patients and the profession that has given me so much. Former Chair of Cancer Support Charity Maggie's 
Alan Eisner, was made OBE for services to charitable fundraising. Maggie's opened its first centre in 1996 and offers high-quality professional support to people with cancer, their friends and family at centres across the UK, including at the Churchill Hospital. Maggie's CEO, Laura Lee, said he worked tirelessly to bring a Maggie centre to Oxford and now it sees nearly 100 people a day with cancer beside the Churchill. He understood how important psychological and practical support is after a diagnosis and made sure the centre became a reality. And now continuing the health theme, here's a letter from a local GP. I am a GP. I have been for 11 years now and I love my job, but increasingly, because of factors completely out of our control, the job is becoming unsustainable. We don't have enough staff and cannot recruit while patient numbers relentlessly increase. We take on additional non-essential work, such as the COVID vaccination programme, because we want to keep our patients safe. But make no mistake, this work is extra and we are stretched to absolute capacity and beyond. The recent article in the Whitney Gazette about our colleagues at Cog's surgery was incredibly misdirected. They, like us are trying their very best in incredibly challenging times. We completely understand the frustration. There can be long waits for appointments and the service we can provide is not what we want to provide. This does not justify abuse of our hard-working staff, something now happening on a daily basis. Imagine how those staff felt going into work the day after that article was released. The repeated hit on morale combined with workload-related stress inflationary pressures and Brexit-linked loss of professionals results in further degradation of the healthcare workforce. I'm writing this not because we want sympathy or tears, but because we want people to understand. We absolutely regret this situation, but this is not our fault. This criticism needs redirecting from individual practices towards the people in power who make the decisions. Please be kind to your healthcare providers. We all want to do the best job we can, but we are not being allowed to do that. And the letter is from Dr Maeve Lawrence, who's a GP director at the Nuffield Practice in Whitney. Now for the editor's choice. Last time I was editor, I chose to read a piece from The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse by Charlie Mackesy. Some of you may have seen the animated version on television on Christmas Day. It's also been on BBC Radio recently. This week, I've chosen to read another extract. It's a story of kindness, friendship, courage and hope. Here we just have three of the characters. It's the boy, the fox and the mole, and they're walking in single file under the stars. Being kind to yourself is one of the greatest kindnesses, said the mole. We often wait for kindness, but being kind to yourself can start now, said the mole. We've now got a picture of the boy and the mole and they're sitting, looking at one another, rather pensively. Often, the hardest person to forgive is yourself. 
Next picture is the boy, the mole and the fox and they're all sitting on a strong tree branch. Sometimes I feel lost, said the boy. Mm, me too, said the mole. But we love you and love brings you home. Next, the three of them, the next picture is the three of them, again, the fox, the mole and the boy, uh, and they're walking along a path in the woods. I think everyone is just trying to get home, said the mole. Suddenly, they see a horse who's very large, and he's bending over to talk to the mole. Hello. They all look up. Hello, they say. The four of them then play, riding, jumping, standing on the horse, sitting on the horse, messing around on the horse. Doing nothing with friends is never doing nothing, is it? asked the boy. No, said the mole. More pictures of playing and they look as if they're having fun. Eventually, the boy rides the horse and as they jump over a stream, the boy falls off. Ooh! Next picture is the boy and the horse. You fell, said the horse, but I've got you. Everyone is a bit scared, said the horse, but we're less scared together. Tears fall for a reason and they are your strength, not your weakness said the horse to the boy who's looking very sad. What is the bravest thing you've ever said? asked the boy. Help, said the horse. When, you've, when have you been at your strongest? asked the boy. The horse replies, when I have dared to show my weakness. Asking for help isn't giving up, said the horse. It's refusing to give up. Sometimes I worry you'll all realise I'm ordinary, said the boy. Mm. Love doesn't need you to be extraordinary, said the mole. And away they run together. We all need a reason to keep going, said the horse. What's yours? You three, said the fox. Getting home, said the boy. Cake, said the mole. I've discovered something better than cake. No, you haven't, said the boy. I have, said the mole. What is it? A hug. It lasts longer. Now for the quiz. And firstly, it's the questions and answers from our last edition, which was on the 15th of December long time ago question number one was we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem but where is Bethlehem now which country or territory Jordan Jordan is not correct it's in the uh, actually it is it's in the West Bank West Bank Bank, yes Palestine located about six miles south of Jerusalem Secondly, can you give the traditional names of the three wise men, or Magi? Balthazar. That's good, for one. Melchior. 
That's good for two. Casper. Hey, well done, three. Uh, number three. Which country was first associated with Christmas trees? Germany, wasn't Germany. it? Germany, well done. Number four. When did King Wenceslas look over, out over his snowy fields? Feast of Stephen. Feast of Stephen. Could you give it a different name? Boxing Day. Boxing Day. <laughs> or the actual date, December the 26th. Any of those are fine. And number five, who gave the first royal Christmas broadcast and when? 1932. 1932, excellent. And it was? King George. V. George V. George V, yeah. George v. yes, well done. Uh, if, if you said the Queen, that was the first TV version. <laughs> the Queen, Queen Elizabeth, I should have said. Now for this week's quiz, which is all about cities. Number one, visitors who wish to return to Rome are told that they must throw a coin into which fountain? Number two, which city contains the house in which Anne Frank and her family hid from the Nazis? Number three, the Taj Mahal can be visited in which Indian city? Number four, in which Canadian town, nicknamed Cowtown, does a famous stampede take place in July each year? And last one, number five, which Alaskan city is home to nearly half of the state's population? brings to an end this week's quiz and it's time for the notice board this includes listeners birthdays and deaths which have been registered in the gazette this week first of all we wish mrs doreen weaving a belated happy birthday for yesterday Unfortunately, there have been several death notices in this week's Gazette. Miss Dorothy Mary Dollery passed away peacefully on the 23rd of December 2022, aged 89. Funeral at St Stephen's Church, Clanfield, on the 12th of January at 12 noon. Family flowers only. Donations to St Stephen's Church. Primrose Jennifer Franklin, known as Prim, passed away peacefully on the 25th of December 2022, aged 88. Funeral at High Street Methodist Church, Whitney, on the 19th of January at 11.30. Family flowers only. Donations to British Heart Foundation. Mervyn David Poole passed away on the 18th of December 2022, aged 76. Funeral at North Oxfordshire Crematorium, Tackley, on the 12th of January at 1pm. Family flowers only. Donations to Myeloma UK.
Patricia Anne Warrington, died suddenly at home on the 12th of December 2022, aged 82. Funeral at St Mary's Church, North Lee, on the 13th of January. Family flowers only. Donations to Churchill Hospital. Now I just want to tell you about the Torch Fellowship, which you probably will have heard before. Whitney Torch Fellowship for the Visually Impaired meets on the first Saturday of every month at 2pm in the Welcome Church High Street. So that will be this coming Saturday, the 7th of January. New members are very welcome. Contact 01993-891-639. The headline of this article is TV's Doghouse Looking for Families Ready to Rehome Pet. Producers of the hit TV show, The Dog House, are looking for families in Oxfordshire who are interested in rehoming a dog and taking part in the next series. The BAFTA-nominated Channel 4 series, which works with Woodgreen Pets Charity to find forever homes for abandoned pets, has been described as one of the most heartwarming programmes on TV. A new series starts this month and the programme makers are now looking for people to take part. Casting producer Hannah Walker said the show wants to highlight just what a rescue dog can bring to someone's life. The new series follows the rescue dogs but also the kind-hearted people willing to open their homes and their hearts to a new four-legged friend. She added... With the current cost of living crisis having a huge impact on rehoming centres, it's more important than ever to highlight the plight of the rescue dog. The RSPCA, expecting a potential animal rescue crisis as more animals come into care and stay in rescue centres for longer, with fewer people coming forward to adopt. 1.8 million dogs have been given up so far this year, but recent figures from the Pet Food Manufacturers Association show rehoming has dropped 8% since last year. All in all, it's a pretty gloomy picture. If you can offer a rescue dog a loving home, go to channel4.com slash four viewers slash take part slash the hyphen dog hyphen house and there's a charming picture here of a dog called Ziggy on the Christmas episode and he's wearing a Santa Claus outfit and looking very happy it's Clarkson Corner uh, both in fact it's quite a good link from what we've just been talking about Clarkson's in the dog house again the, the, the article here is TV star Clarkson's farmer shop shuts for winter break Fans of Jeremy Clarkson's cow and bee juice will have to wait for more than a month to stock up, with the star's diddly squat farm shop temporarily closing its door. The Clarkson's Farm Presenters Shop in Chadlington near Chipping Norton will reopen on February 10th, the same date as the launch of the second season of his show. 
The shop, opened in 2020, has been besieged by fans of the Amazon Prime series and causing traffic problems and friction with neighbours. Last year it shut during January and February with West Oxfordshire District Council ordered mandatory renovations work on the wrong after wrong materials were used for the roof. Fans speculated about the reason behind the temporary closing until the Diddley Squat Farm Shop team announced councils insisted we change the roof, closed for building work. News of this year's temporary closure was revealed on Facebook with customers urged to come along to, to sample the delicious burgers and local sausages and bacon baps before the lights went out on the New Year's Eve. Back in August, Mr Clarkson was ordered to shut the dining areas of the shop site after the District Council accused him of breaching planning restrictions. The Council on August the 12th gave the TV host six weeks to remove tables used for dining, mobile toilets and landscaping materials. Diddley Squat Farm Shop was also instructed to shop to stop selling products not produced on the farm or within a 16-mile radius with, without council's approval. Mr Clarkson's representative said that these demands were excessive and insisted that six weeks period was too short for changes to be made. Last month, Mr Clarkson was forced to apologise for comments he made about Meghan Markle. In a Sun column, he said... He hated the Duchess of Sussex on a, on a cellular level and wanted, to be, and wanted her to be paraded naked through the streets. Free pavement licences to boost cafe culture. Businesses are set to receive a boost with fees waived for outdoor seating and displaying goods on the pavement. West Oxfordshire District Council is suspending and refunding fees for pavement licences which allow businesses to operate outdoors and place sales and display material on the public highway. Duncan Enright, Deputy Leader responsible for economic development, said the council was trying to encourage businesses, such as cafes, to use outdoor spaces to extend what they do and also bring life to the high street. He said the council would provide support for businesses to help them plan safely because, of course, people still have to get past on scooters and buggies and so on. So we need to make sure that it's done carefully. He said it would not be feasible for some businesses who front narrow pavements, but we would still love to see more businesses trading outside. I think people have suddenly discovered the delights of having a coffee outside, having a meal. I think that this is the way of things to come as well. It gives real life, I think, to our high streets, makes them really buzz, and that's one of the wonderful things. It's very sociable. No business can operate outdoors without a consent licence in place, so an application must be made at westoxen.gov.uk. But Mr Enright said the process will be much more straightforward and at no cost to business. And lastly, two short items. The first one is headed, County Council hands out 300 laptops to vulnerable. Some of the most vulnerable people in the county are being given access to 300 refurbished laptops, helping them to get online this winter. Oxfordshire County Council has given the computers to Getting Oxfordshire Online, an initiative that recycles older technology to be given to charitable organisations in the region.
People who will receive access to the laptops are those who are accessing food banks, refugees and those experiencing and at risk of homelessness in Oxfordshire. Glynis Phillips, Cabinet Member for Corporate Services, said, I'm extremely proud of the Council's IT service team behind this donation. Improving digital inclusion is a key priority for the Council, reducing inequalities and helping people to access vital support at the touch of a button, giving them the power to help themselves. It truly is the gift that keeps on giving. And the next item is headed Music and Trees Display. A churchyard was brightened up with more than 40 decorated Christmas trees and performances of music. Charlbury Christmas Tree Festival brought people and local organisations together by each decorating a Christmas tree which then went on show for charity. One sports fan had some extra fun with their theme, decorating their tree with miniature footballs. The festival setting against the impressive backdrop of the ancient 900-year-old St Mary's Church made it even more magical. The event began in early December with a ticketed Jazz and Trees launch party. As well as the display of trees, there was also a cafe and a concert with a performance from local choir Witchwood Chorale. Local businesses and groups were asked to sponsor a tree with all money raised donated to the St Mary's Church Appeal. As well as listening to the USB stick you receive from us each week, there are several ways for you to listen to all of our editions, including magazines. These ways include Sonata Plus and Internet. Full details can be found on our website, wtn.org.uk. Just follow the link to Listen Online if on any week you do not receive your stick or if there is a problem with producing them. You can always listen on the phone by dialing 01993 555 986. Keep listening at the end of this edition for the radio and audio described TV listings, info shots, looking back to 1923 and health-related products. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. Remember to reverse the, the address label on the yellow pouch before posting it back to us. Just a reminder that this is a free service from the post office and the package can be placed in any post box. Please post it back to us as soon as possible as we sometimes run out of pouches and labels which means that we cannot continue our service to you. If you wish to contact us, please put a slip of paper in your pouch and we will then phone you. It only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette for the articles we've used tonight. Thanks also to our technical expert, Eric Imson, and our copiers, Henry Spielberg and Stefan Grabowski, who will be copying the memory sticks and posting them out to you. We would like to thank our admin volunteers who have been checking the pouches and memory sticks you have returned and keeping records in our register. They are Angela, James and Amanda Harvey. And finally, thanks to our four readers tonight, Barbara Barringer, 
Jenny Wiley, Stefan Gabrowski and Henry Spielberg. I know everyone would like to say goodbye. And so, until our next edition, goodbye. goodbye. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, January 7th. Rare Earth is a thriller and family saga set in Greenland. It's on Radio 4 at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The Classic FM Hall of Fame concert with Catherine Bott includes works by Beethoven, Mozart and Chopin. Classic FM at 4pm. The Importance of Being Earnest by Oscar Wilde is on Radio 4 Extra at 5. While the opera on 3 is Medie by Cherubini in a performance from the New York Met. Radio 3 6.30pm. Archive on 4 is Annie Nightingale's Age of Irreverence, which takes a look at the cultural revolution of the 50s and 60s. It's on Radio 4 at 8pm on Saturday. The crime drama Stone returns for a new series on Radio 4 at 9pm. Well, How Things Are Done in Odessa is the story of the Black Sea port delving into its rich history. It's on Radio 4 at 10.15pm. On to Sunday, January 8th. The heading. Drama barely does justice to the subject of a new three-part serial on the Medici. The subtitle Bankers, Gangsters, Popes gives a clue to an exciting hour with one of history's most notorious families. It's all on Radio 4 at 3 o'clock. You can spend a golden hour with Tony Blackburn on Radio 2 at 7pm. Well, Stephen Mangan is once again taking confession, and tonight's penitent is Lady Antonia Fraser, who will confess to three sins. It's all on Radio 4 at 7.15 on Sunday evening. Or you could choose a reimagining and updating of Ibsen's great play, Enemy of the People, now entitled Hashtag Public Enemy. It tackles the very topical subject of toxic waste in the water system, corruption, ecology and cancel culture. It's all on Radio 3 at 7.30pm. And Sunday night is music night, and the concert is devoted to music evolving the natural world, with works by Elgar, Coates and others. It's all on Radio 2 at 8pm. On to programmes then that are serialised through the working week, Monday to Friday. Same time, same radio station, all week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Book of the Week is Clubland by Pete Brown, a convivial guide through the history of the working man clubs. Radio 4 at 9.45 in the morning or just after midnight, 12.30 each day. Composer of the Week is on Radio 3 at noon. And this week, it's Mozart. Nature Bang starts a new series which examines the science between phenomena in the natural world and the possible application to humans. It's all on Radio 4, all week, 1.45 in the afternoon. Smooth Classics brings you three hours of calming and relaxing classical music with Zeb Soames, Classic FM, from 7pm all week. And Book of Bedtime, a continuation of Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. Radio 4, 10.45 each night. 
On to the individual highlights for each day then, starting with Monday, January 9th. In the invention of Russia, Misha Glenny explores the history of Russia, starting with Moscow in the days before empire. The first of three parts is on Radio 4 at 11am. Pitch your musical knowledge against the contestants as a new series of Counterpoint starts on Radio 4 at 3 o'clock. Time for comedy with In and Out of the Kitchen, followed by Brothers in Law and Legal, Decent, Honest and Truthful, bringing some fun to the early evening on Radio 4 Extra at 5.30pm. And The Blues Show with Keris Matthews is on Radio 2 at 9pm. Tuesday, January 10th, the afternoon concert brings you three hours of varied classical music, including work by Mozart, Handel, Beethoven and Telemann. The concert is on Radio 3 from 2 o'clock. A taught political drama, Border Call, concerning the three-way relationship between Britain, Ireland and Northern Ireland, is on Radio 4 at 2.15. Other stories, Catherine Mansfield provides rather gentler drama, on Radio 4 Extra at 3pm on Tuesday. And a gentle comedy, A Cold Swedish Winter, continues on Radio 4 at 6.30pm. It is Tuesday. It means Peter White is back with In Touch on Radio 4 at 8.40pm. On The Jazz Show with Jamie Cullum. Rounds off Tuesday, Radio 2, 9pm. Wednesday, January 11th, a gothic thriller, Dead Weather, can be heard this afternoon. It's set in rural Wales and concerns an abandoned wife, a crow and madness. Radio 4, 2.15. The drama continues with part one of Hawksmoor, Peter Aykroyd's acclaimed novel set in 1711 and the 1980s. Radio 4 Extra at three o'clock and part two is also at the same time on Thursday. Back to Wednesday, and for some much-needed laughter, Maureen and Friends has Maureen Lippman performing her comic monologues on Radio 4 Extra at 5.30pm. Followed on Radio 4 Extra by Hancock's Half Hour at 6pm. And the laughter continues with Conservations from a Long Marriage with Joanna Lumley and Roger Allam as a long-married couple. Radio 4, the place to listen to for that one at 630 PM. And we round off Wednesday with The Folk Show, Mark Radcliffe, Radio 2, 9pm. Thursday, January 12th, the series Crossing Continents brings us a story to lift hearts and give hope. Saving Mafia Lives tells of a judge in Sicily who's been taking children away from Mafia families, a policy which is now being considered by other countries around the world. Radio 4, the place to listen to this one, at 11am. Edward Thomas and the Song of the Path follows it when walking and musical collaborators Johnny Flynn and Robert McFarlane follow the footsteps of poet and singer Edward Thomas using his songs and poems while walking in his footsteps. Again Radio 4, this time at 11.30am. Sliced Bread is a consumer programme which looks for evidence behind some products' bold claims. In this episode, Greg Foote investigates that product we all use, hopefully, shampoo. Radio 4, 12.30 in the afternoon. It's always worth either being reminded of or learning about historical horrors, and Nazis' The Road to Power sets out to do just that. The first of eight episodes 
is on Radio 4 at 2.15 on Thursday. Open Country takes us on a visit to south-east Scotland to revel in the winter landscape. Radio 4, the place for that, at 3 o'clock. And The Country Show, with Bob Harris, is on Radio 2 at 9pm. Friday, January 13th, rounds off the week. And thanks a lot, Milton Jones will embroil you in one of Milton's um, helpful schemes. Radio 4, 11.30 in the morning for a bit of comedy. Statistics and numbers are never dull or confusing the hands of Tim Harford, who in more or less exposes false claims and debunks myths. Radio 4, 4.30 on Friday afternoon. Sometimes by the end of the week you really just need a laugh at the news, if only to keep sane, and Andy Zaltzman and guests do just that in the news quiz on Radio 4 at 6.30. The rarely heard opera Gloriana by Britain is performed by the ENO on Radio 3 at 7pm. And if you missed the Wreath Lectures, the second, Freedom of Worship, delivered by Rowan Williams, is on Radio 4 on Friday night at 9pm. That's it for the first week of the new year. Thank you to Angela for the highlights. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one of radio listening. TNS Soundings. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, this is Val from Otley Talking News with my selection of audio-described TV programmes starting Saturday the 7th to Friday the 13th of January 2023. So let's see if we can find something to interest you in this week's selection, starting with Saturday the 7th of January. For all you Morse fans, you're in luck today, starting at 9.40am with the very first episode, followed by another two episodes at 12 noon and 2.20pm and ending with an episode from Series 2 at 4.40pm. All four episodes are on ITV3. We have the return of the food series celebrating Scottish food and drink with Nick Nairn and Dougie Vipond cooking Asian beef. The Great Food Guys is on BBC One at 11.30am. In the afternoon, there is a natural world film following a mother moose and her calf. Meet the Moose Family is on BBC Two at 3.10pm. Or you may prefer a romantic comedy. After widower Tom Hanks pours his heart out on a radio phone-in, Baltimore journalist Meg Ryan hears the broadcast and recognises a kindred lonely heart. Sleepless in Seattle is on Channel 4 at 3.15pm. Three celebrities try to identify the well-known phrases from the animated clues for the chance to win £50,000 for good causes in Celebrity Catchphrase on ITV1 at 6pm. What about an adventure film? It's 1957 and Indy is after the crystal skull of Akator, pursued by Kate Blanchett's Soviet agent. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is the early evening film on Channel 4 at 6.45pm. In the first of tonight's double bill of Midsummer Murders, a walk in the woods leads to tragedy for Emily Simpson, 
who witnesses something unsettling before being found dead in her cottage. Midsummer Murders starts at 7pm on ITV3. In tonight's hospital drama, Dylan's clinical lead duties are disrupted by a patient from his past, while Rash worries about Ishock's behaviour. Casualty is on BBC One at 9pm. Moving on to Sunday, 8th of January. Eight families are challenged to ditch convenience food in Tom Kerridge's Fresh Start at 12.30pm on BBC Two. In this afternoon's comedy film, a widower and his two children move from the city to a wildlife park in California. We Bought a Zoo is on Channel 4 at 1.25pm. Lyra and Will journey through the suburbs of the dead in the fantasy adventure His Dark Materials at 7pm on BBC One. Twelve of Britain's home potters compete to become king or queen of the clay in a new series of The Great Pottery Throwdown at 7.45 on Channel 4. Two choices at 8pm. The Nonatus team are concerned as Lucille struggles with her own health in Call the Midwife on BBC One at 8. Or maybe you're interested in archaeology. One of the sites in tonight's programme, visited by Professor Alice Roberts, is Arthur's Stone in the West Country, a chambered tomb thought to predate Stonehenge. Digging for Britain is on BBC Two at 8. The popular Sunday night drama starring Sarah Lancashire continues. The discovery of the gangland murder victim leads Catherine back to Tommy Lee Royce. Happy Valley is on BBC One at 9pm. If you're a Shakespeare fan, my next choice might interest you. Francesco de Mosto reveals how Italy influenced the bard as he visits locations that inspired the playwright. The first part of Shakespeare in Italy is on BBC Four at 10.35pm and is followed by part two at 11.35. Now for a look at those programmes which are on at the same time throughout the week. Homes Under the Hammer is at 11.15am, Bargain Hunt is at 12.15, Escape to the Country is at 3pm and The Repair Shop is at 3.45pm. All these programmes are on BBC One Monday to Friday. Doctors is at 1.45pm, also on BBC One, but Monday to Thursday. Dickinson's Real Deal is on ITV One at 2pm, Monday to Friday. Heartbeat is on ITV Three at 6pm, Monday to Friday. And on BBC Four at 7pm, Great Indian Railways is on Monday and Tuesday and Great British Railways is on Wednesday and Thursday. Let's have a look at Monday the 9th of January. We start this evening by using the little grey cells as Monsieur Poirot would say. Mastermind is on BBC Two at 7.30pm. An Arts and Crafts Caravan is one of the projects featured in a new series of George Clark's Amazing Spaces at 8pm on Channel 4. Two more teams go head-to-head in University Challenge on BBC Two at 8.30pm. In part one of tonight's forensic drama series, an abandoned lorry is found at a quarry with several dead and dying people in it. 
Nikki and the team must use their pathological and forensic skills to piece together what happened. Silent Witness is on BBC One at 9pm. Part two is at the same time tomorrow. The mammoth renovation of Claridge's Hotel continues at 9pm on BBC Two in the Mayfair Hotel Megabuild. The first part of a new three-part documentary series starts tonight, giving an insight into how the American people and their leaders responded to one of the greatest humanitarian disasters of the 20th century. The US and the Holocaust is on BBC Four at 10pm. On to Tuesday the 10th of January. Waterloo Road is rocked by some shocking news in tonight's episode of the school drama on BBC One at 8pm. Dave Myers and Cy King are in the Norfolk village of East Barsham to meet a couple who have taken on a country pub and are keen to keep the menu fresh. The Hairy Bikers Girl Local is on BBC Two at 8pm. The series continues at the same time throughout the week. The second part of Silent Witness is at 9pm on BBC One. The actress Miriam Margulies concludes her quest to explore the Australian ethos of the fair go, a reasonable chance, in Miriam Margulies' Australia Unmasked on BBC Two at 9pm. We end this evening with one of my favourite comedy dramas. Is there a mole within the ranks of the detectorists? Find out in this episode from Series 1 at 10pm on BBC Two. Now for Wednesday the 11th of January. Starting with a wildlife programme. Rescuers in southern Africa try to treat the fatal broken heart syndrome to which wild dogs separated from their families succumb. Dogs in the Wild Meet the Family is on BBC One at 8pm. Kirsty and Phil meet a couple who can't agree whether it's time to move to a new home in Kirsty and Phil's Love It or List It on Channel 4 at 8pm. Di continues to support Sharon in the third part of tonight's psychological drama The Light in the Hall at 9pm on Channel 4. Continues tomorrow at 9pm. Gordon Ramsay presents a new cookery contest where 12 aspiring chefs do battle in a 50-foot, three-storey kitchen, ranging from a luxury top-level cooking space to a basic basement kitchen. The next level chef is on ITV1 at 9pm. If you're a fan of sci-fi, Star Trek is on Film 4 at 9pm. Now let's have a look at Thursday's programmes, the 12th of January. More entrepreneurs seek investment from the tycoons in Dragon's Den at 8pm on BBC One. The team at Wood Green Pets Charity continue with their mission to find new homes for abandoned dogs. The Dog House is on Channel 4 at 8pm. Now for some historical drama. As the Royal Family holidays at Fontainebleau, Marie's hostilities with Dubarry threaten to sour things with the King. Marie Antoinette continues at 9pm on BBC Two. A documentary programme investigating true crimes returns for a second series tonight. Amelia Fox, criminologist Professor David Wilson and Dr Graham Hill investigate the Templeton Woods murders from 1979. In the Footsteps of Killers is at 10pm on Channel 4. And finally, we come to Friday the 13th of January. 
In a new series, the team returns to look at the secrets behind some of the nation's favourite food in Food Unwrapped at 8pm on Channel 4. Some more sleuthing as a body is found in a vineyard in Father Brown at 8pm on the Drama Channel. We return to Sicily tonight where Amanda Holden and Alan Carr are getting into the renovation of their two crumbling apartments. Amanda and Alan's Italian job is on BBC One at 8.30pm. A new panel show starts tonight where John Richardson and Lucy Beaumont invite two celebrity couples to go head to head to decide who has the best relationship. John and Lucy's Odd Couples is on Channel 4 at 9pm. We end the week in the Caribbean as D.I. Neville Parker and the team investigate yet another murder. Death in Paradise is on BBC One at 9pm. DNF Soundings. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. News and information about living with sight loss from InfoSound. Hello, a very happy new year and welcome to InfoShorts and the first bulletin of this brand new service from us here at the charity InfoSound. Each edition of InfoShorts features a helpful hint plus a few items of news and information designed to help daily living with sight loss. And in this edition, radios and audio players on free loan, trouble-free toothbrushing and cost of living help and advice. Please listen out for any contact phone numbers, email and web addresses that we mention so you can follow up what you've heard here by talking to those who can give you much fuller details should you want to know more. And we start with news that British Wireless for the Blind Fund, or BWBF for short, provides specially adapted audio devices on free lifetime loan for people living with sight loss in the UK who are facing financial hardship. The charity has also launched free-to-download audio apps for mobile and tablet users. As the current cost-of-living situation puts more people under strain, BWBF is encouraging blind and partially sighted people across the UK to claim a free, specially adapted audio device. BWBF's range of devices includes digital radios, players with CD and cassette functions, portable radios and a memory stick player. Now, to qualify for a free radio or audio device, People must be registered blind or partially sighted, live in the UK and be in receipt of a means-tested benefit. So, if you or someone you know might be interested in finding out more, you can contact Sophie Jones at bwbf at sophie at blind.org.uk sophie at blind.org.uk or phone 01622 754-757. That's 01-622-754-757. People can also browse BWBF's full range of devices and apply online at www.blind.org.uk. InfoSound. 
Now, on each edition of Info Shorts, we feature a helpful hint, a handy tip to help with the practicalities of living with sight loss. Some you may know well, others perhaps not. And providing us with today's tip is Anita Plant, Rehabilitation Officer and Low Vision Advisor at the national charity, the Partially Sighted Society. And uh, Anita, what have you got to kick us off? Toothpaste, putting toothpaste on a toothbrush. A lot of people really struggle to do that because you've got white toothpaste and you've got a white toothbrush. So my tip for that one is to just put the toothpaste onto your finger and then pop the toothpaste into your mouth and then brush your teeth. Right, so it's toothpaste onto finger into mouth and then you introduce the toothbrush. Yes. Does this bring up the whole issue of colour contrast and and how that can really be a game changer if you get it right or indeed Ah. if it's not right for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, contrast is really, really important for most people living with low vision. If we go back to the toothpaste, you've got a white toothpaste on a white toothbrush and usually you're standing over a sink, which is also white. So more often than not, the toothpaste ends up going all over the sink. So, you know, that's why we sort of use a sense of touch in this instance. But if we take the contrast a little bit further, you know, anything that you're struggling to see, if you think about how can I increase the contrast? So if, for example, we had black toothpaste, that would be a lot easier to see than the white toothpaste against a white toothbrush. And identifying the toothpaste in the first place, uh, a squeezy tube, not Mm. the same way as they used to be squeezy. Now they tend to be more plastic and difficult Mm. to tell when they're about to run out. But that's another issue altogether. (laughs) Um, Rubber bands, good old rubber bands, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. A rubber band. Also sort of finding, you know, if you've taken the cap off the toothpaste as well and put that down, if that's a white cap on a white tiled surface, you know, that's going to be an issue. Have a look for toothpaste with nice bright coloured caps or, again, a little tiny little elastic band around the top of the toothpaste tube so you can locate it and pop it back on the toothpaste again. Terrific. Good oral hygiene are now promoted in an accessible way. Thank you very much, <laughs> Anita. <laughs> yeah. Info sound. And finally, this time, a timely reminder that RNIB offers free, practical and emotional support to help people with sight loss deal with financial pressures. RNIB points out that people with sight loss are entitled to financial support to help with the extra costs associated with their disability. And the charity can help people identify the financial help, tax allowances and concessions that someone could be entitled to, and they can give them the information and support they need to apply. RNIB can also provide handy tips on how to manage finances independently. For example, they can provide information about financial support in specific areas such as fuel poverty, and they can let people know about other organisations which can provide advice in other areas, and that could be something that particularly matters to you. You can download RNIB's Cost of Living Fact Sheet and try out their Benefits Calculator to find out exactly what you could be receiving. And you could also book a place on one of their free Living Well with Sight Loss, Focus on Money Matters courses. For any further information or help, you can call RNIB's National Helpline on 0303-123-9999. That's 0303-123-9999. Or email helpline at rnib.org.uk. 
And that's it for this first InfoShorts Bulletin from InfoSound. We'll have more next time, so until then, thanks for listening. News and information about living with sight loss from InfoSound. TNF Soundings. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, this is Anne with an item from the website Take Me Back To. The world has never witnessed changes as enormous as it has experienced in the last hundred years. So, looking back to the year 1923. Taking place in the Jazz Age or the Roaring Twenties, 1923 was a year characterised by economic prosperity and bootleggers. The world's population reached 2.02 billion. The most popular baby names were John and Mary. Sadly, while 1923 gained many new citizens, the world lost some great people. The man who discovered the X-ray, William Harding, and the designer who forever altered the Paris skyline, Gustav Eiffel. These 365 days saw the birth of golden girls Estelle Getty, Rocky Marciano, Charlton Heston and the founding father of Singapore, Lee Kuan Yew. The most popular reads in that year were the good soldier Sviek, the Austro-Hungarian army's most loyal Czech soldier and his bumbling attempts to get to the front, and the prophet a collection of poetic essays. That year's Pulitzer winner was One of Ours, a novel about the making of an American soldier. The big screen saw the ascension of classics including The Hunchback of Notre Dame and the original The Ten Commandments. Rumblings of the darkness of World War II began with the formation of Mussolini's fascist militia. It saw some notable gains in medicine, contraception, computers and astronomy. In this year, insulin became widely available to treat diabetes and the surgeons performed the first successful brain tumour operation. Edwin Hubble opened up the stars to the New Horizons after he discovered the world's first Cepheid variable star. For museum and Egyptology lovers, this year marks the time when Howard Carter cracked open the tomb of Tutankhamen. Plenty of other noteworthy things happened as well. If you love The Lion King, you have 1923 to thank for that. This year marked the founding of the Disney Brothers Cartoon Studio. On the global front, the founder of modern Turkey, Mustafa Kemal Atatürk, served his first term as president and set his country on a new path. Time magazine also published its first issue, and shortly after that, Firestone produced its first rubber tyre. 1923 certainly got the ball rolling. TNF Soundings TNF Soundings Features from across the UK
Hello again from me, Tim Pennick, with another in our series of articles covering interviews with experts. At the dizzying age of 62, I'm finding the availability of accessible health products such as talking thermometers and talking blood pressure monitors of increasing interest and relevance. I asked RNIB product manager Claire Maxwell to outline the selection of products currently available from the Institute's catalogue. Things that we have in our range, um, we have our pill organisers, um, different types with braille, with um, different alarm settings. So these are these are intelligent things, are they, that, that, that tell you when you need to be taking your tablets? Yeah, so you need to set your alarm. So we have one called the the Super 8, which has got eight different alarms on. If you've got, you know, multiple medications you need to take. Um, and then we've got, it comes with um, another organiser, if you like, with different compartments where you can sort your pills into as well. So you can either do that yourself or have someone support you with that um, if needed. So you set up, when you, when, you, when, you, when you load them up then, you set the alarms for for, for each uh, time time that you need to have a, a pill, do you? How does, how does that work? Yeah, so you've got um, it's a small alarm clock that comes with it, um, so what you do is you set your different alarm um, to go off and you've got up to eight alarms with the super pill um, organiser, as I say, so it has got the compartments and it's also got the alarm with it, um, and then you've also got the other two types which are just the compartments um, on their own. We've also got the um, thermometers, so we've got one which is non-contact um, and then we've also got another which is a, a, a standard um, forehead thermometer as well. So we've got those two things. So how does the, how, how does the non-contact one work? Do you just point it, point it at you? It, yes, you point it in in, the, yeah. in your direction, and it takes your your temperature. Like the the ones, I'm sure we've all be, become familiar with when you go into venues and, and so on. They were taking people's temperatures, so that idea, um, they they designed a thermometer like that that has speech as well. It's worth saying to people as well that that um, some of the um, when you when you get these products, some of them look a lot more complicated to use than they actually might be. I mean, the 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 um, thermometer, the the one that you touch on your forehead, mm. um, has got a fair amount of information uh, about how to set it up. It's got all the settings um, that you can do if you can read the display. But actually, you, it's very simple to use if you just uh, put the batteries in. For a totally blind person, all they want to all you want to know really is your is your current temperature, and that's what it gives you. So you just press the button, uh, and it does it. And absolutely. you actually don't need to know all the stuff about how to set up the display. <laughs> no, absolutely. That's exactly what I did. Um, so when I bought one, I, I just set it up, put the batteries in and use it for mm. testing my children's temperature yeah, <laughs> when absolutely. needed. And, and you do need to remember to take the batteries out as well. Because, yes. for instance, we've had a... Um, a uh, a thermometer we bought from a, from, a, from a chemist years and years ago when my, my son was was young and um, uh, you know they last for twenty years or so but these the, the the current the current type of thermometers won't last for anything like that long without ch- a, ba- a change of batteries will they so you do remember to need to remember to either keep some spare batteries with you or um, uh, or or, or um, take them out when you're not using it. That's right. Yes, I do. I do the same. So we've got two different types of blood pressure monitors. So we've got the wrist one and the arm one. Um, so we've got two of those. I don't and know about we'll... the wrist one. How does that? How does that work? 
Yeah, so it takes your blood pressure, just put it put it around your your wrist and and do your blood pressure that That's way. So idea. it's a talking one. It's a very handy. Um, device to have as well again is that a question of just putting the batteries in and off and off you go exactly yes exactly that so we got we got two of those for for that reason so people can have the choice as well as you say do you do you still do the medicine dispenser where you you just put the dispenser on the end of the bottle and tip it upside down and turn a turn a valve unfortunately we don't and we did look at um trying to commission one of our suppliers to make one um, and it just didn't come to fruition, unfortunately. But, um, I mean, there are other methods. I'm, I'm sure everyone has, has come up with I mean, My my personal one that I use is um, a syringe. So from the pharmacy, I ask them to give me, you know, a five or ten or whatever mil syringe that I need. And then I just use that. Um, or alternatively, if I know I've got a bigger syringe, um, I get someone to put a line around the middle of it and and then I can feel with my nail when I reach that point when I'm pulling the, the end of the syringe out. We have our eye eye drop dispensers as well so you know many people struggle to put eye drops in and we have um, three different types of those as well so we have one which is an automatic one which is like a cup that sort of fits over the eye so that you know that the hole that you push the, the bottle into is right in the centre um, and then you can dispense the, the right amount of drops into your eye. Um, those types of things sometimes people aren't always aware of. Um, and also things like mirrors that don't automatically perhaps jump to mind when you think of healthcare, but some people use contact lenses as well. So, you know, having our magnifying mirrors or mag- or mirrors with, you know, lights in the background can actually help people with those types of things and finally (laughs) our bathroom scales as well so that's obviously very important again we just have them at the moment categorized under um, daily living but actually can be very important for many people for different health conditions to keep on top of their their weight or whatever for for various reasons and and do you have different versions of those at the moment or you've got one one specific bathroom scales at the moment, we just have one, which is a bureau, um, which is a glass scale. So it looks very, very um, sleek as well um, and also has speech built into it. More information about RNIB products can be obtained by phoning the helpline on 0303 123 9999. That's 0303 123 9999. TNS Soundings. 